Time now is 21 minutes past the hour one, and as I um, as promised, I do have um, Sue and um, on the line who is from Crockett's Mail, who will be um, as usual giving us um, the rundown of what we can expect in this week's um, edition of the paper. You're still tuned in to Quarantine Base on RMR 89.7 FM. Hello, Sue. Hi, Liverpool. Thank you. <clears throat> shall I shall I go for it? Yes, yes, you can go. Great. Well, I'm really pleased today to be joined by Tusani Mnyandu. Tusani, hi. Are you there? Uh, hi, Sue. I'm here. Great. Um, and we're going to be doing this run through this wrap of the week stories with Grocott's Mail together today. Uh, please be patient with us. We're, we're, we're trying this out for the first time. We think it will work well. It will definitely work well. Yes. Great. Great. <laughs> Thanks, Louisville. Um, so our big story this week, of course, is the return, the quarantine period for the, the, the EMS workers who tested positive for COVID-19 has ended, and it's back to work, or is it? Um, then second, we've got a nice set of civic action happening that Tusani's going to tell us about. There's somebody, a, a private citizen fixing roads up in Jorza, um, and, of course, today is the day of the big solidarity fast for Makanda, for the, for the feeding programs in Makanda. Um, and then we're going to end up with a, a, a little bit of a description of what's in this week's e-edition of Grocott Direct. Tosani, have I left anything out? No, I think um, I just want to also talk about the story of Amambuma and uh, what is happening with um, the initiation schools in the province. I think that would be all. Okay, great. Well, shall I kick off with our big story for the week, <clears throat> which is the ambulance workers who um, were meant to return to work yesterday, uh, but they're, they're scared. They're, they're, they're scared because their two colleagues who tested positive, um, they got their results on the 15th of, of May and everybody was sent home. Um, they have not been retested. Their colleagues say they want them retested, and in fact they themselves, I believe, I, I understand, are, are with their colleagues on this. Um, they, they also want to be retested so that everybody's sure where everybody stands. So they, the, the, uh, two shifts did not come to work, I understand, um, yesterday when they were due to return. Um, but around half of each shift are back on a on a voluntary basis. So this is very much in the Makanda Grandstown Make a Plan kind of spirit of things. It's a it's a fantastic thing about our town, you know, um, Tusani, and you're going to talk a little bit more about that later. Is that people kind of pull together and make a plan, but yes. the unions are saying. No, making a plan is not good enough. It's not good enough, they're saying, to get one of the one of the EMS staff to kind of sanitize the base. It's not good enough to have people coming back on a voluntary basis. No matter how um, how big their hearts are, that's not okay. Everybody must test and be tested negative. That's what they're saying at the moment. Too funny. 
um, from 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 your your report, are, are we conf- are, can you confirm that uh, the two workers that have tested positive have recovered? Um, no, because and and this is the big issue. This is the big issue for for the the staff at EMS is that the department has said they won't retest them because the time that it takes to recover from COVID-19 has passed. If you, re- if you recall, the tests were done on the 6th of May. It took nearly 10 days for them to get the results. Now, my understanding is that the recovery period for a positive case is three weeks. I think it's 21 days. So I think it's on that basis that the, the health department, that's the other problem, is, is I haven't had a response from them yet, from questions that I sent yesterday. Um, it's on that basis, is my understanding, that they're saying we don't need to retest these people. They will have recovered. <clears throat> and indeed, they, they're free of symptoms, but their colleagues are still saying that's not, not good enough. And they themselves also want to know their results because they were retested. Okay, no, that's great. And then, so, so, and then the the testing backlog. What about the testing backlog? How long will it take for these workers if they get tested to get their results back? So this is interesting. Um, Health Minister Zulim Tize yesterday in a release, um, he emphasised that test results for healthcare workers, along with uh, patients admitted to hospital, are being prioritised. But there's an enormous backlog. It's, it's approaching 100,000. So the exact number is 96,480, um, which, is, which is huge. So he said that's the number of specimens that had not been processed on Monday. And that, that, that helps explain, first, why the two EMS staff members who tested positive waited 10 days to discover that. And now it explains why the 28 staff who've come, now come out of quarantine still don't have their latest results. Okay, and so, the testing yeah. kits, are, are the testing kits available? So again, that's um, a question that I've asked the Eastern Cape Health Department but have not yet received a response to. And there was, there was a, a belief or a, a, a report that they were short of testing kits here in the Eastern Cape, but I have not been able to confirm that yet. Okay. And then in terms of the no work, no pay uh, system, what, 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 is, what, what is your understanding is going to happen to the workers by uh, refusing to go back to work? Um, there's no clarity on that, and again, if, if, if only I could get if I could get a response from the health department, I'd be able to tell you exactly what was happening there. Um, the unions are adamant that their um, their members should not go back to work, and that they they're ready to fight that one. Um, but we don't have any word from the health department yet on anything specifically regarding this this situation here. Okay, and have they been able to, lo- uh, to locate or source other workers from different uh, bases? Because I understand from reading the story that um, the workers are saying that they can source other, they can open the base and source other workers from other districts, I suppose. Um, so the question I guess I'm trying to ask is, um, have they been able to get workers from other places? 
Um, my understanding is that they only have the volunteers or the existing staff who've decided to go back anyway um, on a voluntary basis, supposedly, um, and that they haven't brought other people in, which does mean that the base is presumably uh, badly understaffed. So don't get sick, don't have an accident. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, I think we're on to we're on to your um, you know on, like I said that that uh, spirit of this town of of get the job done anyway um, has negative aspects, but it also has some very positive aspects, and I think those are some of the things that you're going to talk about now, to Sonia, Am I right? Oh yes, Sue. Um, thank you very much for for the opportunity, and um, good afternoon to the listeners of RMR. Um, so the first story that uh, was inspiring for me that I looked at this week was um, a story of a gentleman by the name of Temengos Mangam, um, who has started to be fixing potholes in Georgia. I understand that he's in J Street. So I've, I haven't been there, so I had to rely on technology to assist me to find out where J Street is. So what had motivated this gentleman was um, the fact that their cars um, are getting damaged by the road that is not fixed. Okay, so he started um, to gather some resources of his own. He then bought uh, bags of cement and was um, lucky enough to get what they call crusher dust. And then they started working. Okay, so as they started working, he also, so it, it turned out that um, this initiative was working out, and then he then approached the two tax associations, I think one is Bata and the other one is uh, Naito. Um, so from there, the taxi, each, each tax was donating five rands, so um, until they reached 500 rands um, that they gave to Temigosi and his team. So he has about uh, five people that are, are working with him. And then um, he was able to buy another 10 bags of cement and also some crusher dust. And then they started working. So they also, on their own, they, they got someone who, who knows better about construction and doing the reclaiming, if I can put it like that. And then they are assisting him to, to be doing that. Um, so... They also been can, uh, to Sunny, this is a great um, do-it-yourself initiative, very much along the lines of what uh, Makana Revive was founded to do and, in fact, has done to some extent. C- can you tell us a little bit more about um, Makana Revive's initiatives, maybe over the past few few weeks in terms of fixing stuff, but also the, the fund that they're managing um, for feeding communities in Grahamstown in Makanda during the lockdown and today's solidarity fast. Okay, so Makanda Revive is more organized than, than uh, Tem Gosi. Um, so what, it started also as a movement of concerned citizens where they're putting together money. So what they do is they, they try and uh, gather money from different donations and then they disperse it for different causes. Okay, um, so they've now gone. Uh, they've now um, grown, and they are now they've now become a trust, and they are applying to be registered as a public benefit organization. So that means um, you can then make donations to the trust to the trust, so that they they'll be able to disperse, um, you know, the monies, and then they can buy food parcels, and 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 then distribute to the community. Okay, 
They are also involved in the second story that I'm, I was going to discuss, which is um, the Solidarity Fast uh, for, 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 for today, which is happening from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. So what is happening is that the initiative um, is, to, is to donate whatever you would have used for today to buy food, so you donate it to the trust so that they can be able to buy uh, food parcels. So um, they also are involved in cleaning the streets. They themselves are also involved in repairing potholes um, in, in the town uh, uh, most of the time. And also uh, initiatives that have got to do with security uh, in the town. So those are some of the things that they're doing. Great. So citizen involvement all round, and again, that, that, that spirit of people in this town who, if something isn't working, they'll nine times out of ten step in to try and sort it out and fix it. <clears throat> yes, definitely. I think I also must mention that um, So the, the Solidarity Fast that is happening today was organized by the, uh, the Cycle of Unity. So you are finding a, a, a lot of organizations that um, are trying to do their bit to support the town and to make sure that the town is working, and they are also working together. Okay, so for example, um, so you've got the, the cycle of unity, you've got the public service uh, accountability monitor, which is also involved uh, in, in, in the Solidarity Fast. And then you've got uh, Magana Revive Trust. So you're finding that civic, civic organizations are coming together and trying to do their bit to try and deal with the problems because municipalities and government um, cannot do it on their own. Great. And I see that um, the, the FAST has, has uh, garnered a lot of support from the community more broadly. There are 50 community leaders who've signed up for it, um, principals, CEOs of the hospitals, uh, business business people, business leaders in the town, a, a wide range of people, including the, the vice chancellor of the university, Sizuma Bizele. Um, so a lot, lot of people, the, the, the FAST has a lot of support, and we hope that they raise lots and lots of funds, right? No, indeed. Uh, indeed, it is going to have a lot of support um, from, from different people. And then we are saying in their website that if they can manage to have people donating 100 friends, on a monthly basis and businesses donating 500 friends on a monthly basis, then they'll be able to, to do a whole lot uh, with, that, with that money. Interestingly, soon, I went, to, yeah. I went to do some research and found that the Eastern Cape, uh, in terms of uh, poverty line, is actually leading. There's about 79, I mean 79. 2, 72.9% of people are living under, uh, the, below the poverty line in the Eastern Cape. So um, uh, it goes then to show that even in our town, being in the Eastern Cape, it, should, it would be affected um, by this. And if you look at the poverty line, for example, it's sitting at 992. Uh, so that is per person uh, in South Africa. Whereas you're finding that the government is saying that they will be willing to give uh, 350 rands to, 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 to each uh, person that is not working during this time of COVID-19. So that, that is even below half of, of the poverty line. And if you look at the 350, only 10 people by Monday had received that money out of um, 2.6 million who have been approved. So you can actually see that um, this initiative is going to go a long way in trying to address the social, the social ill. But Tisani, you're an accountant, but you don't need to be an accountant to figure out that that doesn't, doesn't really add up, right? Yeah, definitely. So if, if you... 
look at how much a person can contribute. For for myself, I don't cook every day. So I might be spending 50 rands on a daily basis for me to, to feed myself. So so that 50 rands, if you can go out and be helping someone, I'm sure it can do just a little bit to help them survive for that uh, short time. Great. Yeah, fantastic initiative anyway. So congratulations to the organizers. Um, you wanted to talk... I think, about the illegal initiation schools. Yes, I'd like to talk about that too, but I want to encourage our uh, the listeners to go and look at the store of the Solidarity Fast because that's where they're going to find details, your banking details of how they can contribute and, and more information. So they can go to our website and, and find the story there and the details. Thanks, Tusani. And you can also find that story via our Facebook page. So Makana Municipality has got, like every other local municipality, has got a local initiation forum. And our forum is very proud of its record of um, keeping our young initiates safe. So, um, you know, when we read the story about uh, initiation schools opening illegally under lockdown, it's quite a shock. But you've looked at that story, haven't you, Tassan? I did have a look, but I didn't get the numbers. I don't know if, um, in terms of the province, there's been any schools that have been closed and, and the number of schools that, and, and, and the number. If you, I don't know if you do have that, Sue, would you? I can look it up, but several illegal initiation schools have been closed down, and that's, yes, and that was in defiance of the lockdown that they, that they opened up. It was decided that it simply wasn't safe to run them um, and under the pandemic. I'm not sure how that's going to pan out going forward because this is such a huge part of so many people's lives, so many young men's lives. Were these were these schools operating um, during lockdown soon? They were indeed. You know, right at the beginning, uh, to Sunny, uh, am I right? Right at the beginning of lockdown, it was announced uh, that the Minister of Cooperative Governance announced that the initiation schools uh, may not operate, that the winter initiation season would be postponed. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so um, that's the case. So even the, the traditional leaders, I think it's Nongonyan, uh, the chief Nongonyan, uh, was warning about that, that uh, no school should be operating at all in the province during the lockdown period. It's actually a criminal offence if you are found with operating. And they've also encouraged parents to make sure that uh, their, their sons do not go into these initiation schools and also to report them uh, should uh, it happen that there are those who are found to be operating. Great. Well, I think it's, it's probably, Lubo, how, how are we doing for time? Is it time for us to kind of... Um, yes, you still have a bit of time for um, one more story, if you do have... But I think um, uh, it's definitely worth looking into the story of um, the Amapama because um, seeing that um, um, we are going to level three, what then is going to happen with Amapama? Seeing that churches are now allowed to go back um, um, and schools are um, gradually opening up, um, will then will we then be seeing Abantabafana opening up initiation schools for a certain number of people to to be initiated? 
Yeah, it, I definitely agree with you, Lube, that it, it, it's a story that is worth looking into. But I doubt, I highly doubt that they will be opening up the schools uh, as yet because um, you, you need the hospital system to be, or the health system to be as free as possible or to have enough capacity to be able mm. to with um, COVID-19 related, uh, you know, issues. So if, if, you, if you're now opening initiation schools and the numbers that you see, especially in the Eastern Cape where um, now they have got to take people to hospitals, I think that will be very risky for them to open initiation schools at this point. But um, yes, that, that's a developing story. We're going to be able to, to, to try and, 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 and put uh, tabs on it. Yeah, yeah, all right. Okay, you can go forward then. <laughs> okay, thanks, Lubo. And so, a little bit of a, a sales pitch here for our e-edition, mm-hmm. Direct, which you can, you can find it via Facebook. You can also find it via our website. Right near the top on the right-hand side, there's a, a black and white button that says sign up for our newsletter. Please do. It's free. It'll come every week. And the very exciting news is that um, Press Reader, the international plat- uh, media platform, um, has, is going to be listing Grocott's mail for free so people can access it for free uh, from very soon, hopefully from this week. We're not sure when that's going to kick in, but it's going to be free access via Press Reader in addition to our WhatsApp group. <clears throat> um, there's a link you can join. I'm not going to give it here. Obviously, it's a bit uh, technical and complicated, but you can you can sign up to our WhatsApp group and get the e-edition in your inbox every every week um, or via WhatsApp. So w- one of the things that we've covered this week is the third the third 50 years of Grocott's Mail's history. So um, you'll remember Louvo that this is Grocott's Mail's 150th anniversary on the 11th of May. Mm. <clears throat> um, this week, Stephen Lang, who's our former editor and, and a wonderful writer and teller of stories, um, looks at the third, the the last, the most recent 50 years of Grocott's Mail from 1970 to 2020. And 1970, you can straight away see that this is actually one of the most interesting periods. And in fact, he writes, he says, the newspaper has undergone profound changes in almost every aspect of its existence. Readers from the 1970s could never have imagined that news media in general and newspapers in particular would change so much. So um, he talks about Mandela's various visits to the town. He talks about the big controversies like the bicentenary of um, the city's founding. And, of course, the name change, who can ever forget the name change from Grandstown to Makanda and um, how, how, that was, how that was raised in the town itself but, and, and how the newspaper handled it. <clears throat> so it's, it's, it's a great read. Please sign up for the newsletter for the uh, Grocott's Direct e-edition. And I think from my side, that's pretty much it. To Sunny, I'm not sure... If you have anything else that you wanted to say? 
there's there's one more story sue um uh, uh makanda schools that are that are that are uh, in different states of readiness um to be returning students to uh, to grade seven and grade 12 and uh, a lot of teachers are also um heading back or headed started heading back to school on the 25th we saw of course yes we have um julian jacobs is going to be accompanying the the delegation from the district the district um, district councillors, the mayor, health officials, um, labour department, I think, um, and others will be visiting schools here in in Makanda and Makana on Monday and going to check how things are. So uh, Julian Jacobs will be going with them and he'll give us the lowdown on on how things stand. All right, great. That would be very great to hear. Tasani, anything else from your side? No, not at all. I'm just saying I'm, I'm, I'm proud to be part of the next 50 years of Grow Courts. Uh, it's really a great pleasure. And thank you very much for your time and for giving us this platform. All right, thank you so much. I remember I have, um, you have a couple of minutes left. I remember um, in our first year of journalism, we were taken to um, uh, the museum here in town, and uh, there we saw the first makings of lit- literal newspapers. And it, it was fascinating to see how um, we have shifted to to the now easy way of printing, and that time how um, Crockett's Mail was printed um, at the very beginning. So interesting to, to see the newsletters there from Stephen Lang. And he was actually part of that tour of the museum that year. That, that would be Louvre, the Eastern Star Museum, right? Yes, yes, it is. And truly, I mean, newspapers were a real, they, not that they aren't now, but in a very different way. They were a real labor of love. Both words, <clears throat> both words very emphatically meant there. Um, you know, wonderful things you you can still see in that Eastern Star Museum. Mm-hmm. Presses, um, the the plates, the the lettering, the lead lettering, and, and the the printers' trays. It's, it's a wonderful place to visit. It is. It is. Well, yeah, but also, if, if, I think that will, you'll never take anything away from that. The value of having a printed newspaper. It's quite different from reading things online. So I think it's still going to, you know, the printing business of newspapers is still going to be with us for some time. And, and you, you know, because once I, I have a newspaper and I can touch it, I can feel it, it feels very different from just reading it online. All right. Thank you so much, Sue. Thank you so much uh, to Sunny for um, coming through today and giving us a rundown of what readers can expect from this week's Crockett's Mail. And also, hopefully you are part of um, um, the, the hashtag Makanda Solidarity Initiative of today. Thank you. Yes, yes, thank yes, you, yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. You. All right. Thank you. And that is Sue. That, well, that was Sue and um, Tusani giving us uh, a rundown of what we can expect in this week's edition, um, also e edition, also on Facebook. Um, you can get that um, edition of this week's Crockett's Mail, or you can also follow up on these stories or follow these stories, especially the ones that are, um, um, as they say, um, continuing. The time now is uh, 12 minutes before the hour two, and you still tune in to Quarantine Base with Uluvolu Tukamanga Bashan on your number one. You station RMR 89.7 FM Sabela ni bantu abatala oh Yo, what up, what up, good people? This is 047, and you're listening to Rose Music Radio live 89.7 FM. You know what it is. <laughs>